love to have you take your Bibles if you have one handy and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We will make one more journey this Advent season to this very, very famous and important text. I want to say to to, uh, all of you who are guests among us, there are many family members I I see as I look around. Welcome. So good to have you here. And uh, we we value the family members who are here regularly. And of course, we kind of like you too. And we're glad that you've come. And trust that God will use his word for all of us this morning. This Advent season, we have been uh, using the theme of Shepherd, Warrior, King for these four Sundays of Advent, looking at part of the Old Testament, specifically King David, very famous king in Israel, and how he points the way to Jesus, the greater king, the greater son of David. And we've looked at that a bit, and today we'll kind of complete that journey, I suppose, And uh, there on your study sheet, you see a little bit of review of where we've been. I'll let you take a look at all of that. But to help us head into to the text today, I'd like you to look at the artwork with me for just a moment. Besides the sheep and the very cool looking guy on the horse. I mean, I don't know if he's scary or comforting, but very, uh, I don't know. I, I think he looks pretty cool. All around the picture, you find pictures of the stars. That's not by accident. Um, God loves to use illustrations to teach us things. And in the Bible, numerous places, the stars are used to point us to the one who made them. I want to just think with you about a few of the places where the stars show up. And it's not just, I'm not going to preach on the stars. The reason is because God uses the stars as a reminder of his sovereignty and his power and his goodness. And if he can hang the stars in space, he can take care of you. Okay, so, so that's why I, I want to pull some of these connections together. Uh, you just think with me. We're not going to turn to all of these, but just very selective, a few. Genesis 15, one of those key moments in Bible history is God is talking to Abraham, and he's about to make him some amazing promises. The Abrahamic covenant, we call that. And he's going to make some amazing promises. And there's a moment where he says, Abraham, come outside and look. This is back in the days before the lights of the city blurred out the Milky Way. And I'm assuming it was a clear night. But God says, Abraham, look at the stars. And then he says, can you count them? So shall your descendants be. In other words, to a a childless man, he says, you will have descendants as many as the stars in the sky. Now, you move ahead a little way. Some of these other elements show up a lot. You come to the book of Job. There's a place in, in this wonderful story. Job, of course, as a book, is, is telling about a man who, who suffered a lot. He lost all kinds of things, uh, his family and his kids. And, and there's a moment where he and his friends had been, well, as they were trying to help each other, they ended up, they ended up criticizing God just a bit. Can you imagine? There's a moment where even Job says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. You know, in other words, I'll give him a piece of my mind, right? And, and there's a moment in Job 38 where God begins to speak and he talks to this crowd and he says, oh, really? You're going to help me run the universe. How, how nice. And he mentions the stars. He mentions Orion and the Pleiades and the idea implicit there is uh, Job and company, how many, how many galaxies have you created lately? Oh, not very many, eh? 
No, you're having a hard time buckling your sandal. You want to run the universe. He points to the stars. David, of course, as you come to the Psalms, among the many references, you come to Psalm 8, where David begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. And it comes down, I guess, verse 4. He says, when I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars that you've made, what is man, mankind, that, that, that you think about him? I look at the stars. People look at the stars, in other words, and instead of feeling big and important, most of the time, if you look at the stars, you feel very small, don't you? And you should. Psalm 19, David again says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament displays the work of his hands. The heavens shout forth the glory of the creator. It's to remind you of what he's like. A couple of weeks ago, when we began this journey for Advent, we, we took a, a little trip to Jeremiah 33, one of the places where God's promises, again, are very, very prominent. And there's a place in there in Jeremiah 33 where God references our text, our starting text today, 2 Samuel 7. And he says, if you can break my covenant with the stars, the day and the night, then you can break my covenant with King David. In other words... <laughs> Sun's going to rise, sun's going to set, and I'm going to keep my promises. He uses the stars as a witness. Then, of course, you come into the New Testament in the Christmas story itself. Matthew 2, as we heard earlier, God puts a star in the sky to point the way for those magi to find their way to the baby Jesus. Well, the Bible is just full of those object lessons, illustrations, because God wants you to trust him, the one who runs the universe. Today, as we take this final uh, visit here to the Davidic Covenant, if you look at your study sheet, I want you to kind of get an orientation of where we're going so you're not surprised along the way. We're going to start in 2 Samuel 7 and read this text one more time. We've been working with it now for three Sundays, and today we'll complete that. But I want us then, based on verse 19, this, we've talked about this a bit, this instruction for mankind, or as Dr. Walter Kaiser, Old Testament theologian, calls it a charter for mankind. Today I'm pointing out this charter for mankind leads to a, leads to a redeemer. And I want to walk with you through half a dozen texts where, where we're going to make our way all the way to Jesus and actually all the way to the end of the book, Revelation 22. And again, I want to tell you, I want to tell you why. And to help you get there, I want to see where the, where the journey's going. If you look at the part of your study sheet called Responding to God's Word, I want to look at the end before we really start. Okay? This is what I'm after today. I, I want us to see that God's redemptive plan unfolds in human history through seasons of darkness, difficulty, and pain. And that those difficult seasons are not a mark of God's absence or of his anger, but instead they are opportunities for repentance, for growth in faith, for deep longing and confident hope. And I highlight that not only because God's plan in history unfolds that way, but because God's plan for you unfolds this way too. And I am well aware that as this holiday season comes and this week in particular, many, many of you, many, many of us are facing times of darkness, difficulty, or pain. Some of those are outward that everybody knows and people are praying for you. And some of those are journeys of the heart that maybe nobody knows but you. But I'm saying this to us today. 
God is doing something through human history. And those difficult seasons do not mark his absence. They're seasons of his presence. And I want you to be reminded today that whatever it is you're dealing with, and there are many that I know of here. Listen, God is very, very present. Even as you wait, you hope and you wish, he has not dropped you off and left you. No, he is very present and active in your life. And I want you to be reassured of that today as we look at this story. So I'd love to pray for us. And then we'll get after this. All right? Join me as we do. Father, we come to your word as always with a great sense of, of expectation and hope, knowing that the spirit of God loves to use the word of God to shape and change us, to, to bring us to places of repentance to to turn our feet in a different direction, always, always to point us toward Christ. And it is our prayer that that would be what happens today. Give us joy in your word. Help us to hear. Give us ears to hear. Hearts to love what we hear. And then a, a life that responds in joyful obedience to you with our God and Savior. So we trust you now for the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Samuel 7, as we have seen over these weeks, a promise, amazing promise from God to King David. And I want to read this text this one more time, and I'm going to pick it up in verse, uh, verse 8, God speaking to Nathan the prophet, who then relays the message to King David. As I read, I'd like you to notice all the I wills that God delivers. Here's what I will do. Here's what I will do. And then we're going to journey on from this text And come all the way to Jesus. But 2 Samuel 7 then, verse 8, as together we look at God's word. We read this. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And as we've seen, that's The word house is used in different ways. A dynasty in this case, a dynasty. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, of course, immediately Solomon and then later reference all the way down to Christ. I'll establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name that Solomon's temple is what's in in view. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father. He'll be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, think Solomon. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And I can just imagine if there was a band nearby, the drums or the cymbals would have crashed because David at that moment had a jaw drop, uh, I, I think, experience. He, he heard this business, your throne will be established forever. And he thought, what have I just heard? And that's clear because you look at verse 18, he goes in and he sits before God and says, oh, oh Lord, uh, what, what have you done? 
I hear you. Who am I? And then a little later on in his prayer, he says, so God, do it. Do it. Keep your promise. Amazing, amazing text. Now, we have looked at a number of the features of this promise, this covenant that God makes with David, uh, so listed there under the review part. I'm not going to rehearse all of those. But I do want to remember with you. Now, a couple weeks ago, actually, it was Advent week one. Remember, we kind of went to a little cl- a school classroom moment. Come on now. This is the test day. Uh, a review time. Um, I mentioned a number of things about the history of Israel. And it wasn't just about classroom stuff and remembering. It's about uh, God working through human history. So I'm going to review with you a few things. Some of those are right here. And we'll look at a couple of other texts. You can head to that next place marked in, in dark here. Second uh, Kings 25 is the next place we're going to stop. But I want to remember with you three great kings in Israel. Do you remember these? Saul was the first. Come on, the second's a gimme. Yeah, there you go. Even if you don't know anything else, right? It's like going to Sunday school when you're a child. If you know God, Jesus, and the Bible, you can get almost every test right. Those three. Well, okay. So Saul, David, and then his son, Absolutely. And if you learn through walk through the Bible, as I referenced not too long ago, Saul, no heart for God, David, whole heart for God. Yes, messed it up. Whole heart for God. Solomon, half a heart. Now, at the end of those roughly 120 years, remember this? What happened? Big explosion. Big explosion. That is the the nation of Israel split into like a civil war type thing. The north and the south sounds really, really familiar, except with the 12 tribes of Israel, it was 10 up north, two down south. That's just kind of the way it was. I'm only after a couple of things here, okay? I referenced that day three important dates. I said, if you get these three important days, you've just got the Old Testament. Do you remember them? I mean, this is a gimme. They're on your notes. So you could nod at this point. Of course you remember. You've got them right in front of you. Three dates upon which you can hang a lot of Old Testament history. So 931, 722, and 586. Those three dates. B.C., of course. So 931, that's when the the, the nation kind of split. Jeroboam, Rehoboam. Okay, that was the end of those three kings. So it goes north and south. That's kind of bad. 722, the Assyrians come in. And they, they invade and take out the people up north, just leaving the people down south. 586, that's where we're going. 2 Kings 25. And I, I take the time to go here rather than to just summarize. Because I want you to see and, and maybe even to feel how dark it was. And, of course, this is going to lay the groundwork for next year's Christmas program, by the way. I know that's spoiler alert, but I've told you that before, so it's not that new. We move from David, next Christmas program, and next Advent season, to this next section of Old Testament history when the prophets speak. The prophets speak in the dark. And this is where we're at today. So 2 Kings 25, we're in the southern part, those last two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and it's about to get worse. So chapter 25, then here's, here's the way the history reads in the ninth year of his reign in the 10th month on the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it, laid siege works around it. The city's besieged till the 11th day of King Zedekiah on the ninth day of the fourth month a famine was so severe in the city. There was no food for the people of the land. And of course it goes on from there. You understand ancient warfare before you had bombers and all kinds of other things, the way you would. The way you would capture a city, one way to do it, was to just put your army around outside and sit there. 
just kind of wait. Somebody walks out, you shoot them. It's not a bad way to go. You just kind of sit there. Eventually, they run out of food or water, and you move in. Great. And that's what they did. Except this is Jerusalem. These are God's people. It's the holy city. I mean, surely, surely God will show up, right? And help. And on this day, at this time, it's a moment of judgment. And so the city falls. And look what happens. Uh, A number of things are mentioned. I look down to verse 9. They burned the house of the Lord, Solomon's temple. They lit that sucker on fire. Can you imagine? Glorious place that had been dedicated to, to the worship of the living God with, with big worship times and choirs and all kinds of sacrifices. It was amazing. It's burning up. I mean, come on. Come on. God, how about showing up now? Burned the house of the Lord, the king's house, it says, all the houses in Jerusalem. Every great house he burned up. He lit that place on fire. Armies running through the city. Terrible things happening. Some other texts tell us about some of those things that happen when, when evil foreign armies come into a town. Jeremiah the prophet was, well, he, he spoke for God through several decades. Listen, he was there that day. He was there. I, I can't imagine. Okay, I've had hard days. I've never had that kind of day when uh, your, your, your nation, your city and your nation go up in flames. Wow. And, and especially when you, when you believe, I mean, we're God's people. Bad things aren't supposed to happen to us like this. Sometimes people think that today. If you're, if you're follower of, of, of Jesus, I mean, come on, he'll bail you out, Right. Bad things won't really happen. But then they do. Well, this day, it says, broke down the walls, verse 10. Verse 11, carried into exile. And verse 21, Judah was taken into exile. I I call it the day the lights went out. That's the little fill-in on your study sheet. Uh, The day the lights went out, and they did. And to all those who were present that day, it was kind of like the, I mean, the end of everything. The end of everything that mattered. Um, I want to go to Jeremiah Chapter 8, with you here, uh, Jeremiah is reflecting on this awfulness. Some of us, again, I'm not wanting to equate um, what happened with Jerusalem to, to our difficulties necessarily because, they, you know, apples and oranges and so on. But, but, but most, of it, most of us know what it's like to have other kinds of bad days and difficulties and awfulness. Jeremiah watches all of this. In chapter 8, verse 20, I just want you to see his response. Some of you resonate with the emotion, though certainly not with the circumstances exactly. He says, chapter 8, verse 20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. In other words, hey, guys, the party's over. The party's over here. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Like a little help. Come on. A little help. We're bleeding. Hello? Heaven is silent. Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Like, why didn't, why didn't God show up today? Some of you have asked that same question in very different circumstances. Why then is the health of my, my life or my family or my marriage or my own physical health, why has this not been restored? And he says in chapter 9, Oh, that my eyes were waters, my 
my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. I might weep day and night. In other words, you know what? I could sit here and I could cry for days. I, I, what am I going to do? Grab a sword as I watch terrible things going on around. What am I going to do? I'm, he's some old guy prophet. I mean, seriously. So you weep. I want to just say here, remember the next book of the Bible? What comes after Jeremiah? Lamentations. What's, what's the book of Lamentations about? Well, <laughs> it's a lament. You may be in a season where you're lamenting. Sometimes we do it loudly, publicly. It's okay. Sometimes we lament in private. There are a lot of psalms that are psalms of lament, too, aren't they? People just pouring out their hurt and their heart before God. I picked up again here today um, this book that I continue to encourage you to read. I give you book recommendations now and then. And uh, this is a book by Paul David Tripp. It's most, I think one of his more recent ones because it was copyrighted like this year. It's a book on suffering, creatively titled Suffering. I know, it's unforgettable. Um, gospel hope when life doesn't make sense. One of his, I, I just think it's, it's superb. Um, walking with God with gospel hope uh, doesn't mean you're hanging on saying, you know, fix it tomorrow. Uh, That's not the point. That's not it. But there's a, there's a place in here that I I so appreciated his wit making a, a, a a good point because sometimes in seasons of darkness, difficulty, and pain, as we've described it, we often, we ask very predictable questions. We ask things like, yeah, why? And second, how long is this going to last? When's this going to be over? Okay, God, you going to fix this? Uh, when? And of course, we've mentioned the why. So in um, a chapter entitled The Comfort of God's Sovereignty, Paul Tripp says, here's the problem. God's secret will is called God's secret will. You see where this is going? Because it's secret. That's profound. Now he goes on to talk about that a little more. Um, the, the point of that section is to say uh, we need to find comfort in God's sovereignty because, well, he may not tell you why or how long. What he does tell you is that the one who made the stars holds you in his hands. That's what he tells you for your good and for your comfort. Well, Jeremiah, I appreciate his tears. I appreciate his laments. You remember lamentations, of course, in the middle of chapter three, that's that great place where he, he, he breaks, he breaks his grievous lament to say, but I, I trust God. He's faithful today. His faithfulness is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You remember those, those words. Well, if you look with me again, study sheet, the exile, this taking of God's people into Israel, last 70 years, followed by restoration, rebuilding, books of Ezra and Nehemiah, take us there, some of the prophets, 400 years of silence, we've spoken about that before, and then, and then, next section, when the time was right, God sends his son, God sends his son, and I, I don't want to rush too quickly past the 70 years and the rebuilding and the 400 years of silence because we hate 
years of silence. 400 years is a very long time to wait. And I, you know, you could, you could take a bit of time to think about that. 400 years is more than one generation. It's your whole lifetime several times over where you're saying God promised a savior and he hasn't come yet. And the next generation comes and the next and the next and the next times 400 years of grandchildren saying, grandma, grandpa, you remember that part about God sending a savior? When is that going to be? And grandparents say, you know, we've been, my grandparents told me about that. Well, grandma, grandpa, when is this going to be? Well, honey, I don't know. We're just going to hang on and hope. How about that for a good answer? 400 years of, what is it? Silence. Where God's people, God's faithful said, when? Now? Why the wait, God? Why aren't you fixing it now? And heaven was silent. But God was not absent. Now, Moving ahead to, to Luke chapter one, if you want to, if you're making the journey with me, I'm going to each of those texts that is marked in bold. That's where we're going. And I'm covering, I'm moving by massive sections of time and scripture. I realize necessary for it to, us to get where we're going. I'm going to be in Luke chapter one, but I note right before that on your study notes, um, Galatians chapter four The apostle Paul calls this the fullness of time. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time means God's time. The time was right. The time was right according to God. And when that moment came, God sent forth his son. He was, oh, dear people, (laughs) God was not a day late. He was not a day early. Just like When God will address your need. If he does that in your lifetime, he won't be a day early and he won't be a day late. God never misses appointments in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son Galatians four. Now it looks like this. We read this several weeks ago and we come here again. This is the moment Luke chapter one, starting verse 26. The silence is broken with one little conversation. Can you imagine In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Oh, this is just played so loudly in the text. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying. I always love those kinds of statements in the Bible. They show up frequently. Something very, very understated. Um, young gal by herself, some angel shows up. Well, that's alarming, uh, begins to talk. Of course, he says, don't be afraid. That's a very good place to start. Don't be afraid. You're okay. But she was greatly troubled by the visit of an angel. Yes, as, as you would be as well. Greatly troubled. No kidding. Well, we go on. She's greatly troubled. The angel said to her in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Imagine. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And I want to tell you something. I I very much believe that Mary understood immediately. Why do I think that? Uh, Well, she's a young lady steeped in scripture. 
It's evident in the song she sings, the Magnificat that you see starting in verse 46. It's evident in her words because her words are just loaded with allusions and specific references to Old Testament things. Reminiscent of the the prayer of Hannah back in 1 Samuel. So this young lady, no, she knew her Bible. And I suspect that as the angel talked and said, house of David, reign of the house of Jacob forever, kingdom no end, she's doing what you guys already can do. She's going, it's 2 Samuel 7. It's the Davidic covenant. And I can just imagine she knows the day because she went to Sunday school then. Sabbath school, you understand. She got it. You mean, after all these years of silence, it's now. And I'm the one. Can you imagine? I suspect it just all came crashing in on this young lady. And amazing it is that she would say, let's do this. Fantastic. The time was right. God sent his son. Now, we're going to move again uh, forward in the text. I reference here. You don't need to go there necessarily. I'm going to land in Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. But I I move by Luke 7 uh, in the telling of the story of the gospel. We'll be preaching this uh, same story from Matthew's gospel not too many weeks from now. But there's a moment in uh, the life of Jesus when John the Baptist, who's been imprisoned, he's been watching this Jesus. He's the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God. Look, there he is. But over some time now passing, I I suspect there were some questions in his mind. And I'm going to explain all that when we get to that text in Matthew. Why was John the Baptist doubting? Every now and then people ask, well, why does John ask what he does here in in Luke 7? Because he's the one who went, there's the Lamb of God. Why why are you asking that? I think there's this very good reason for that. It's a good reason that's kind of like you, frankly. Well, what's the question he asks? He says in Luke 7, starting verse 18, he sends his his, um, couple of his disciples to ask, are you the one who was to come? Or shall we look for another? Are you the Messiah? If, if, if so, just tell me now. And if you're not, let me know so I can keep looking. Are you the one who's to come? I might just stop there for a moment to say God's people, God's faithful people, were always looking for the one to come. This Messiah. They want to know who he was. Jesus, of course, says, well, right now there's this inbreaking of the kingdom going on. You better believe I'm the one. That's the idea of what follows. Now, you come to Acts chapter 2. And I'm, I'm emphasizing Again, our our main issue for the morning, that is that God's redemptive plan unfolds in history through seasons of difficulty, pain, darkness, and all of that. Nowhere is that more clearly seen than in the death of Jesus on the cross. That That most horrible of events and the most beautiful of events all pulled together. Well, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. It's the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching this great sermon. And I'm just going to look right in the middle. Luke or Acts chapter two. Um, I'm going to start at verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, watch this line delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified Killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. It was not possible for death, uh, for him to be held by it. Now, my eye is drawn to verse 23. Among the many events I cannot imagine being there for would be the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, we all, 
if we were to go back and see it in history on a big movie screen, we would already know the next few days. We would already know about Easter. But to, but to be there at the cross, not knowing Easter, we would very likely be among those disciples on the road to Emmaus described in Luke 24 as they meet walk with the resurrected Christ, eyes are blinded, they don't know it's him, where where they say to Jesus, we had hoped, we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that this one, the Savior, we'd hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Past tense, in other words, we were hoping that, but we're not anymore. We'd been hoping this whole time he was the Redeemer, but then, then this awful day, and he died. He died. Now, In Peter's preaching now, approximately two months later, he describes that awful day as a day that was according to the plan of God. Can you imagine? This was not only the work of lawless men, godless men as are described. This was according to the plan of God. Okay, step with me to you, your life for a minute. Please. Please get your arms around this. This is, this is good theology for your life, okay? I can't propose to know the reason why anything happens in anybody's life, yours or mine. I don't know how it all goes. But I know this. God knows. And in those seasons of difficulty and loss and brokenness and just plain stupid, you ever had some of those? Yours or somebody else's? What were you thinking? Listen, Accountability, responsibility, yes, need to repent, of course. But God is not derailed. His plan is not ruined. He knows what he's doing. And not even you on your worst day can keep God from doing what God will do. Sometimes in those seasons of difficulty and loss for you or your family, God is doing something you don't see, but he is. And I, forgive me, I, I don't mean to use little examples like flat tires. I just don't want to give your examples. But on those awful days when it's raining and you get a flat tire on the side of the freeway, and it's, if you're a parent, guess what? You can look at this and go, there's no reason for this. Well, if you're a parent, you got little ones in the car, what are they doing right now? They're watching how you respond before one of life's crazy moments. They're watching you. They want to see what it looks like. What's a person of faith look like when something dumb happens? Other people are watching. What's a a person of faith look like when they're following God through a phone call from the doctor that is not good? What's it look like to be a person of faith then? Somebody's watching you. You see? This is your moment. When you mess it up. No, really. You get to show others, especially little ones, if you got them in your house, what it looks like to say, honey, mommy or daddy was wrong. It's modeling the gospel. And if every day was a day at Disneyland, I mean, how many great teachable moments come at Disneyland? I know I use that example because Disneyland's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. It's not always. Remember being there with our kids once, it was not the happiest place. on <laughs> Not for the reason you think. But we went to the, a little store on Main Street for ice cream. And you know how you tell your kids, hold it up, and they don't? (laughs) Boom. I mean, you can't hold everybody's ice cream cone up. Boom, ice cream on the floor. It's not the happiest place on earth. (laughs) They gave us a free scoop. (sighs) Man. 
Life's about more than flat tires and dropped ice cream, though, isn't it? So what's it look like to follow God in your circumstance? What's it look like? What do other people see in your life as they see you handle the circumstances and um, challenges in your life and your career and your family? How, what's it look like when others see you? Personal faith. What's it look like? You're going to do it perfectly? Oh, probably not. Wow. God knows. God knows. God knows what he's doing. Now, I'm in the book of Acts. When the time was right, God sent his son. I'm going to back up to chapter one. Stay with me. Almost there, you guys. Almost there. Acts chapter one. It's the story of the ascension. Jesus going back to heaven. Great question being asked by the disciples here. Verse six, they came together. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What a great question. He's Messiah. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's at the top of his game, as we would perhaps describe it very casually. And they come to him and say, so we've read the Old Testament book of Isaiah. There's this cool part in there about the wolf lying down with the lamb and kids playing by the hole of a cobra and everybody, you know, living forever and stuff. When are we going to get to do that? How about, how about now? Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And they, they didn't see, they didn't see what we often call the church age. They didn't see this. They just saw the resurrected Christ right here. This is great. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. The father is fixed by his own authority. But here's what you will do. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses here, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what you get to do. And then he left. He left. He up and left. No, literally, he did. You imagine? Uh, No wonder the disciples are standing there looking at the sky going, whoa. Uh, uh, Who planned that? I mean, he just left. Well, it's called the church age. God's doing something right now. I've given you some texts, um, Matthew 28 and so on to, to, to think about here. I want to reference one more and then we'll bring our thoughts to a conclusion with Revelation 22. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, a book that says a lot about the return of Jesus, there's a, there's a, a verse from which I took my part there in quotes, to serve and to wait, to serve and to wait where the Apostle Paul describes, uh, he's writing to these folks, people at Thessalonica. He says, here's what you did. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait. Those two, serve and to wait, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, that is, who delivers us from the wrath to come. To serve and to wait, that's a good way to speak about what your posture should be as a child of God today. If you know Jesus is your Savior, both of those should be yours. By, by, by serving, we mean doing what God's wired you to do and gifted you to do in this world. And that's a whole variety of things. That's another sermon, another topic. You should be doing whatever, whatever it is God's put you here to do. It's different, different parts of your life. I know that. But whatever it is God has for you right now to do, you should be doing that. That's serve, serve, serve the purpose of God in your generation as we read in the book of Acts. And to wait. Waiting isn't just like sitting in your recliner going, okay. Here we go. No, no. It, it's, it's, an, it's an attitude of expectancy, anticipation, anticipating that God will be God and he will do what he says he's going to do. And he'll be faithful to his word, a sense of anticipation that God will keep his promises, that, that, that eager, eager waiting. Now, Old Testament, there was a waiting for Jesus to come the first time. There is described in the New Testament an eager waiting for Christ to come again. 
I hope you know that. That should be part of your posture as a child of God, too. An eager waiting for Christ to come again. I reference here, I didn't put it in bold, but Philippians 3, that's another place where, where you read that. Philippians 3, verse 20, where Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait. Eagerly, hear that? We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. He's going to come eager, eager expectation. What's 2019 going to hold for you? Do you know? I don't either. I suspect that as with 2018, there will be things that are good. At the end of next year, you can look back and say, thank you, Lord. I suspect there will also be things you'll look back on a year from now and say, Lord, thank you for helping me get through that. Because without your help, I wouldn't have. Fortunately, today, you don't know what those are. Every year, at the end of the year, I, I, instead, I just party. Some people just party. I, I get reflective. I, I think. One of the things that I think about is everybody we've said goodbye to in the past year. I keep track. I do. I write them down. I go back and I remember every funeral Every memorial service, everybody, we lost. And I say, thank you, God, for their life. And I wonder always for the year ahead, who are we going to say goodbye to in this coming year? Because we will. Maybe me, maybe you. What, do you have a little expiration date stamped on you someplace? You, know, you, don't, you don't know. But our posture as we finish a year and head into another should be one of eager expectation, confidence in God, knowing that the God who made promises, as many as the stars in the sky, he's going to keep every one of them. Now, I look at this one text, and then we're going to land this. Revelation 22, uh, verses 20 and 21. This is how the Bible ends. The words of Jesus, first, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon or quickly. And the words in bold up there on your study sheet, those are the words of the aged Apostle John, probably in his 90s at this point, just, I mean, having walked and talked with Jesus. Here's Jesus say, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming again. And his, I just love those words. They're mine. Hope they're yours. Amen. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come. Seasons of darkness, difficulty, and pain. God's plan is not derailed. And if that's where you are today, Please know he has not dropped you off. The Bible, the Bible shows us. Would you stand with me? We want to pray together. I hope today that you're ready to stand before God. Should he call your name? I hope that you know Christ is your savior. I hope that you are not a person who's waiting for one more day, one little piece of information, one more thing to fall into place before you trust Christ as your savior. There'll be a day. There'll be a day. When that door will shut, your life will be done. Christ will come. The door will be shut. On that day, it'll be too late. And I hope you don't wait till it is. Well, pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how the promises you made to David are still in effect today. Indeed, even as Christ sits, rules, a throne, oh yes, seated at the right hand of God. Father, you will keep every promise you've made. 
you do have a man sitting on that Davidic throne. Oh, Lord, it's going to be different as uh, we've talked about kingdom elements and so on in our study of Matthew. But we want to thank you for being a God who keeps your promises. And I pray for every person here in the sound of my voice and those who listen later. as we pick up a little piece of information and learn a little more, learn a little more. Father, if there are those who are waiting, just waiting to cross that place of faith and say, today's the day I'm going to trust Christ. Father, would you just give them a, give them a shove? Just across that place of faith where they'd say, yeah, today's the day. I'm going to enter a new year having trusted Christ as my Savior from sin. This is going to be a year when I start walking with Christ. Lord, you, you do your work as only you can do. We trust you for that. In Jesus' great name, amen.